Thank you, Chris and Gretchen. Thank you for uh, sharing. Um, will you pray with me? Our, our gracious Father, uh, we want to thank you for sending your son Jesus to, who gave himself up for us and paid the penalty for our sins. God, without you, we are nothing and no one. And God, today, as we celebrate, oh Lord, um, your death and your resurrection, we pray, oh Lord, that we will walk away changed and transformed by your gospel. And I pray, oh Lord, that uh, we could really come honestly, oh Lord, uh, with the help of your Holy Spirit, oh Lord, to convict us, oh Lord, of, of sins that we need to confess that we may be up to date, oh God, with you as we partake of the table. So, Lord Jesus, we um, thank you for Paul for, for writing these instructions, oh Lord, for us, how to remember the love of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible or you have your app, um, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse uh, Verses 23 to 30. Our title, our message this morning is Remember Me. Have you heard of the saying, you don't know what you have until it's gone? Have you guys ever heard that before? You don't know what you have until it's gone. I want to tell you that the Lord's Supper is something that I, I took for granted. I did not realize this until lately, how much I look I took this ordinance of God for granted because I was under the assumption that I, it will always be available. If I, if I ask you, what, what's the first thing that you think about when you think about the Lord's Supper? What, what's the very first thing that comes into your mind? Maybe, maybe you're here asking, what exactly are we doing with, with celebrating this ordinance? Is, is there something special happening in, in the Lord's Supper or are, there are even debates about whether the bread and the wine in some sense become the physical body and the blood of Jesus or whether we're on the other side of the spectrum and view it as only just remembering Jesus in a strict sense. And maybe some of you here are thinking primarily from an emotional point of view that it's something that you cherish and treasure and prize and, and you can't think of anything right now except how much you miss being able to receive the bread and the cup and, and worship the Lord through the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. But have you ever thought about the Lord's Supper as dangerous? It's dangerous. Uh, meaning that there's a present danger for, for us physically and, and even eternally um, every time we approach the Lord's table. This is probably the first, in my, first time in my life there has been a serious, sustained discussion with, with other pastors about the dangers of the Lord's Supper, not just because of COVID, but because of where the text leads us to. So if you have your Bible, 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 17, actually, 17, 18, and 19, let me just give you what's going on in the church of Corinth. Because uh, there, were, there were people there, there were members there in the church of Corinth with various problems of divisions and, and sexual morality and suing each other and, and favoritism. Uh, they have drinking problems as well and, and so on and so on. The, the Corinthians were a problematic church to Paul. Yet, yet he loves this church so much as well. So while the church should have had an influence on the pagan city of Corinth, the reality was the city had a quite an influence on the church. 
the early church had no church building, and it was not until the third century that, um, that they, they actually had buildings. So it was their custom to gather on Sunday evenings um, in, in the homes of wealthier members who celebrate the Lord's Supper. So their worship time was preceded by a potluck supper called the Love Feast or the Agape Feast. But the problem was the wealthy members got their furs with their lavish dinners and gorged themselves in fine food and wine. While the slaves and the other poor people arrived, the food was gone. Even worse, the few of the wealthy filled their wine glasses a bit too often, so they were getting drunk even before church started. So as a result, they completely miss the significance and, and the purpose of the Lord's Supper. This morning, I want to share with you the pattern of the Lord's Supper, uh, the purpose of the Lord's Supper, and the penalty of the Lord's Supper. First, let's talk about the pattern. Look, look at verses 23 with me in 25a. For I receive what our first, the pattern, and then what the Savior did. I, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. In the same way, also he took the cup. Paul starts off by saying that this is something he received directly from the Lord. This is not something that he just made up. Although we cannot be sure precisely how or, or when Paul received this revelation, what well, we do know that he had a revelation with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. Actually, in Paul, Paul in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 to 12, tells us that the church, that when he received the message of the gospel, it also did not come from the influence of man or, or the teaching of man. It came directly by the revelation from God. So when, when Paul got this instruction and in how to do the Lord's Supper, it didn't come from anybody else but the Lord. So now when we look at this this way, so now the apostle takes the time now to, to talk to this abusive church about the seriousness of coming to the Lord's table by giving them the historical setting of this event. And Paul tells them that it happened in the upper room. On the night when Jesus was betrayed or when Jesus was arrested, when he took the unleavened bread in the cup. This is simply wonderful that in the midst of the world's most evil act, Satan's absolute worst, God accomplishes absolute best by instituting the Lord, this ordinance to his disciples. That's what the Savior did. Now, this is what the Savior said. Look at verse 24 with me. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Passover meal be began with the host pronouncing a blessing over four different cups. So I want you to look at four, four different cups. And the first cup of red wine was passed and to others, present, which is during the meal. So after the first cup was drunk, bitter herbs dipped into a food sauce were eaten. And, and the message given representing God's promise that he will bring them out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. He, uh, Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. Then they sung the first part of the hymn, the Hallel, which comes from Psalms 113 to 118. And then after the second cup was passed, which signified that God would rescue them from slavery, 
The host then would break and pass around the unleavened bread. Then the main course is served consisting of a roasted sacrificial lamb. The third cup after prayer was then passed and the rest of the Hallel was sang. This cup represented the God, that God would redeem them with his outstretched arms and with his mighty acts of judgment. This was the cup that Jesus used to give thanks, which became the cup of communion. The, the word Eucharistio, from which we get the word Eucharist, means the Lord's Supper. And after that, they will go to the fourth cup, which celebrated the coming kingdom, was drunk immediately after, before leaving. Um, yesterday, uh, I was here yesterday, just, um, actually, sorry, Friday. And uh, I was here at the sanctuary, just praying for this morning's servant. And it dawned on me that how much I, I miss celebrating this uh, supper with you. Uh, and also realize that I don't give you enough time to give thanks to the Lord as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I want to do something different this morning. And um, just, just before we, we take the, the bread and, and the cup, just before we take that, would you just thank God for it? Would you just thank Jesus? Would you just look at the cross behind me and just, think, just thank Him for what He has done? Sometimes it gets so mechanical that we just take the bread and the cup and that's it. And we don't see what's going on. What happened? Why are we even celebrating this? And just say thank you for loving me. In verse 24, Paul reminds them that Jesus broke the unleavened bread and said, This is my body. In Jewish thought, the body represents the whole person, while the bread represents the incarnation of Christ. So this brokenness of the bread foreshadows the brokenness of this body due to his flogging and, and the crewing nail, nail on the cross. David in Psalms 22 uh, mentioned this in his prophecy. And Isaiah, the prophet in, in 53, tells us that we were, we were what? He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. And, and by his stripes we are healed. And this was a, a prophecy of, of, of this Great and physical and mental suffering that Jesus would endure. The, the pouring out of wine which Jesus and the disciples drank that night was a fitting symbol of the blood that would be shed the following day. In other words, Jesus was saying, I want you to do this ordinance as often as you do it and remember that Jesus came as an incarnate man. That, that God actually sent his only son not, not because he was a sinner, but because we are a sinner and we needed to be saved. You know, when I look at this passage and, and just recalling this ordinance that this blood symbolizes the, the incarnate Son of God. This is where Philippians chapter 2 comes to, comes to mind where Jesus said that I emptied myself. That, that I died and I made myself a form of a servant. And, and when we think about the Lord's Supper, can we just not think of it as just a plain old bread and a plain old cup of juice, but, but really the incarnate God-man? 
This is more than recalling, but, but a time of really spiritual intimacy with the Lord. In the same way that physical intimacy in marriage. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, B says, The bread that we break is in, not in a partition in the body of Christ. It's not. This passage is a reminder that God became man. It's figurative. The bread, bread is not his body. All right, I just want to tell you, nothing happens to the bread. All right, it's just bread. Okay? And, and, and the Lutherans came up with a variation of, of, on transubstantiation or consubstantiation. So the Lord's Supper is a symbol of God becoming man. I, I've read this passage over and over, and I often overlook the, this phrase, which is for you. I want you to look at your Bibles and, and just look at that for a moment or underline that. It says, which is for you. Do you guys see that in, in your Bible, which is for you? Very personal for you. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says that, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Just for a moment. You know, when I think about passages like this, I, I look at what Jesus gave up. You know, for all eternity, for all existing, for all of that, Jesus was at his throne with his Father, being worshipped by the angels, being adored and, and being served. And, and yet, when, when sin happened in our world, something has to happen. God could have just left us the way we are and, and died in eternity apart from him, apart from his glory, or he would make a way for us to be saved. Those were the only two choices. And, and Jesus said here at the Lord's Supper, which is for you. You know, he did this for you. For you. Not anybody else, for, for you. And then he goes on, Paul goes on to say, who loved me, who loved me, and, and gave himself for me. Very personal. And, 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 and he grabbed, I was so gripped by that this week that how could somebody love me so much to give himself up for me knowing how sinful I am? Knowing how sinful I am and how much I fall short of the glory of God each and every day, he tells me who loves me and gave himself up for me. And then he goes on in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, again us, he made him, the Father made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteous of God. So in order for us to be right with God... God had to what? Give himself up for us. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He loves you so much. He loves this world so much that he didn't want no one to perish. So when we take the Lord's Supper, can, can we look at the Lord's Supper this way? He loved me. He gave himself up for me, and it's for my sake. In Ephesians 2, 4, it tells us, that, tells us God's motive, but because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, 
The word rich indicates the bountiful nature of God's mercy beyond our comprehension. I don't understand this love. I understand his hatred towards me. I understand that part. I understand very much how incapable I am of pleasing God. I know how sinful I am. So I don't understand how rich this mercy is. It's really beyond my comprehension. But, but one day in heaven, I want to be able to know this, the richness of his mercy. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want to know how rich this mercy really was? After supper, Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant. The new covenant is the promise that God makes with humanity that he will forgive sin and restore fellowship with those whose hearts are turned towards him. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant, and his death on the cross is the basis of this promise. The new covenant was predicted while the old covenant was still in effect. Jeremiah predicted this in Jeremiah 31, verse 31 and 33. The day will come, says the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. But this, this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day. It says the Lord, I will put an, my law in their minds and I will write them on their hearts and, and I will be their God. And they will be my people. You know, the Lord's Supper symbolizes more than just the, the Jews and, and the bread. But it symbolizes that we are God's people. Ezekiel also says in Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and, and put a new spirit in you and I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and, and be careful to keep my laws. He, he, Ezekiel lists several aspects of the new covenant that because of, of the Lord's Supper, it, it symbolizes that we have a new heart before God. That he gave us a new spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit and, and true holiness. Under the new covenant, we are given this opportunity to receive salvation as a free gift from God. Our responsibility is to exercise faith in Christ, believing in him for salvation. The, the one who fulfills the law on our behalf and, and brought an end to the lost sacrifice of animals through his own sacrifice of death on the cross was Christ. And so and through the living, giving Holy Spirit who lives in all believers, we share in the inheritance of Christ and enjoy a permanent unbroken relationship with God. So when we partake in the Lord's Supper, it also symbolizes our unbroken and permanent relationship we have with God. Paul then issues a command about the cup. Do this as often as you drink it. Meaning a constant rhythm in our lives and in the lives of the early church. I, you know, I was thinking this week as I was preparing for this message that how come we only take the Lord's Supper once a month? And I started beginning to think, why, why do we just remember God's ultimate sacrifice and love for us and, and His kindness and His mercy only once a month? And, and I look at my own life and I said, man, God, I need a reminder of that each and every day. I need a reminder each and every week. That, that I need to remember that, that my salvation did not come cheap. That it was a costly salvation. That it cost Jesus his own life. His, the Father, his own son. And I, and I look at this passage and, and look at Acts chapter 2. Where Luke tells us that they devoted themselves, they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The early church was committed to this. 
as they gathered day by day in each other's home, breaking bread together. And he says in verse 46, tells us they continued this practice and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. This is why we are encouraged to take communion as often as possible because it comes with this special sharing of Christ beyond normal relationship. Just enable us to just even get a access to what it will, heaven will look like in a, in a deeper and, and meaningful level. So that's what Christ did and that's what Christ said. Now let me give you a purpose. Number two, it serves as a backward look to the cross. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, the Lord's Supper looks back to the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. They, they are very sorrowful aspects to his death. But a bigger picture is that his death is a wonderful news for all of us. Jesus is glad that he did it. You know, when I read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, and he says, for the joy, for the joy that was before him, endure the cross. So when Jesus went to cross, he was not complaining. When Jesus went to the cross, he was happy. Even in the midst of what he already been through. Even in the midst of being crucified and nailed, being driven to his hands and his, and his feet, he did it with joy. Why did he do it with joy? Because if he did it, it will, it will result in your salvation and mine and the world. Right? No wonder it was a joy for him to do it. In the midst of all of that, Jesus was glad he did it. Uh, if you have your Bible, just turn your Bibles with me into a wonderful passage in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. I just um, want to read with you uh, this passage. and uh, uh, It says here, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He did not spare his own son. I just want you guys to get the feel of that for a moment. The most precious thing to the father was his son. And he did not spare him of the judgment, of the penalty. And to be able to fulfill the holiness of God. He did not spare his son from all that suffering for you. And it tells us the degree of how much he loves you. It tells us the degree of how much he's, he adores you. And how he's in love with you. That God took the most precious thing he has, his son. And he did not spare him from that judgment. And gave himself up for you. And he did this with joy. It shows us how much God loves us. And so much so that he sent his son to die for us. So that our sins will be forgiven. And that we may live forever with him. The death of Jesus is a tremendous gift to us. It is precious. And when we are given a gift of great value. A gift that involves personal sacrifice for us. How should we receive it? With, with mourning and, and regret at the sacrifice? No. That, that is not what the giver wants. Rather, we should receive it with great gratitude. So if we have tears as we come to the table, they should be tears of joy, not despair. 
So the Lord's Supper, although a memorial of a death, is not a funeral. As if Jesus were still dead, it's not a funeral. It's a celebration of his love for you, his love for this world. Rather, we observe this memorial knowing that the death held Jesus only in the grave three days. Knowing that death cannot hold him. And if we believe in Christ, it cannot hold us as well. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, 15, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power over death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. And because that we can celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are no longer also have a fear of dying. Why? Because God said, it could not hold me, so it cannot hold you as well. About a year ago, um, I, I faced the same fear. I had fear of, of dying. And then, I, then God reminds me that there is no fear of, of dying because I will forever live. That this cancer will have no effect on where I'm going to be eternally. This is just here and now. And that my God, I might not be able to beat cancer and I praise God I did, that he did it for me. But I have won over sin and death because of Christ. It cannot hold me. It cannot hold you. No wonder Jesus predicted in, in John 16, 20 that our mourning has turned into joy. So coming to the Lord's table and having communion should be a celebration, not a funeral. Jesus is not in some burial ground somewhere in Jerusalem. He is alive and he's sitting in the right hand of God interceding for you. Praise God. The ancient Israelites look back to the Passover events as a defining moment in their history when their identity as a nation began. That, that was when they escaped death and slavery through the intervention of God and are now free to serve the Lord. In the church, we look back to the events surrounding the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus as a defining moment in our history. So the Lord's table is a defining moment in our lives. Because that's how we have escaped death and slavery of sin. And that is how we are to free to also what? Serve the Lord. That's why Chris and Gretchen go to Greece. Because we're free to serve the Lord. <laughs> right? You and I can go and serve the Lord because we've been freed. We're no longer enslaved to sin. And the Lord's Supper is a memorial of this defining moment in our redemptive history. It allows us to look back to Christ. Number two, letter B. It serves as an inward look to the soul. Verse 28. Let a person examine himself, then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So the Lord's Supper helps us to look at ourselves in the light of Christ. When we are aware that He lives in us, we can pause and to think that what kind of offering we are giving Him. So people have this notion that they can do a quick tidy up before they become a Christian. You can't. You see, none of us are able to clean ourselves of sins. Many people think that they can just hide their sins in the closet, but, but with, with sanctification, it just happens gradually. Eventually, Jesus will get to the closet where our worst sins are hidden and cleans them all out. And the Lord's Supper plays a key role in that process. Paul wrote, everyone should take a careful look at themselves before they eat 
the bread and drink the cup. So every time we participate in the Lord's Supper, we should really take the time to examine ourselves. And, and when we do, you know one thing you will find? Sin. That's the one thing you will find always is sin. The, the, this is normal. But let me invite you to echo the, the psalmist when he says in 120 to 39, verse 23 and 24, he says, Search me, O God. Would you do that this morning when we take the table? Would you ask God to search you? No one else knows you except him. He knows every single thing about you. He knows everything that you're thinking. He knows everything that you're about to say before you say it. He knows everything. There's nothing here you could hide from him. And yet the psalmist says, search me, O God, and, and know my heart. And then it goes, it continues to go and try me. Would you ask God to try you? To, to try you and, and, and know my thoughts for the purpose of it's, if there be any grievous way in me and, and lead me into way everlasting. You know, we haven't had Lord's Supper since March. And it's about six months since we had Lord's Supper, right? And uh, I, my hope is that the, to, today will not be the only time you have confessed your sins in the last six months. Right? But yet, the Lord's Supper brings us back. That we need to be up to date with God. So before you participate, making sure that you're just up to date with God regarding any unconfessed sin or unsurrendered errors in your life. In other words, perform a heart check of, on yourself. You know, you have the Holy Spirit, John 16, 8. He says, he will convict us of our sins. So, so ask God, search me and, and know me and, and try me and, and see if there's any grievous way in me. It's important to know that that here that being up to date does not imply perfection. You could never be perfect. But that's what Paul wrote in verse 31 to 32 tells that we are to judge ourselves correctly and allow the Lord to discipline and sanctify us. We should have the attitude of Psalmist when he prayed in 19 verse 12, forgive my hidden faults. Don't use sin as an excuse to avoid the Lord's Supper. Instead, use it as a reminder we need Jesus in our lives because he is the only one who can take away our sins. So as we examine ourselves, we, we need to look around to see whether we are treating one another in, in a way that Jesus commanded us to. We are commanded to love one another. And yet I saw scriptures this week, like, like uh, in, in Corinthians chapter 5, right? He says, you know, avoid such a brother who, who involves themselves in sexual immorality. Avoid such, such men. You know, in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it talks about people who are idle, who are busy bodies, who, who are lazy, and says, don't have nothing to do with that brother. So that's not talking, it's not just that. And, and even in, in Romans chapter 12, it says, if it's possible, if it depends on you, be peaceable with all men. You know, there's just some people that we just cannot get along with. But that does not excuse you not to go to the Lord's Supper. It might even cause you to forgive that person, but not tolerate their sin. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 17, because there is one loaf, we are, who are many are one body, for we shall share in one loaf. If you are united with Christ, I am united with Christ, then we are united to each other. So the Lord's Supper portrays our participation in Christ and with each other. During the Passover, Jesus in John 13 pictured the life of God's kingdom to Peter by washing his feet. 
You see, Christianity involves both serving and, and being served. Let us see. It serves as a reminder for us to share the gospel. It tells us the third reason here celebrating the Lord's Supper is, by, is for the preaching and the teaching and the sharing of the gospel of Jesus. You see, the Lord's Supper is not only a memorial, but it has to be also evangelistic. So as often as we participate, as often as we do this, we are committing ourselves to make the gospel known to those who do not know the gospel. So every time we partake of the table, this is what we do. Who are we going to share the gospel with? Who are we going to be able to share this, this sacrifice of, of Christ to someone else? Who can we share this love of Christ? It brings us back again to what we are supposed to do in this world. And our purpose is to share the gospel with those who does not know the gospel. It serves for us. Let's just say that. We take the Lord's Supper once a month for a whole year. That gives us 12. What if you have 12 people that you're going to share Christ with every time you partake of the Lord's table? Right? What if two, one of two of those people actually comes to Christ? We, we honor the Lord's Supper because we are what? Proclaiming the Lord's death. Right? If you want to know what we believe in the church, let me tell you this. We believe in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's going to be stapled. We believe that he came into this world as God in human flesh. We believe that he shed his blood on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. A sacrifice which satisfied the justice of God. Paid the penalty in full. And by faith in him, his death is counted on our behalf. And our benefit. That's what we believe. That's the gospel. That's why we proclaim it to the world and invite them to trust in Christ. Um, Next one, it serves as a reminder of the return of Christ. He says, until he comes. Jesus said in Matthew, Luke, and Mark said that he would not drink the fruit of the vine again until he came into the fullness of the kingdom. He anticipated a reunion with his disciples in his father's kingdom. So whenever we participate in the Lord's table, we are reminded of Jesus' promise that he will come back for us again. John 14 let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Be all, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If we're not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? That if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. And, and you know the way to where I am going. I have a question for you. Do you have a room in our Father's house? How many guys here know for sure you have a room? It's a great comfort, isn't it? To know that you have a room, that there's a room for me that there'll be no mortgage. That awesome? Wouldn't that awesome that you can go to a place where there's no more mortgage and all the utilities are paid for? It, wouldn't that be a great place to be? Right? How about your friends and family? Do you know if they have room in the Father's house? The Lord's Supper, hopefully, is a reminder for you that they need to be in the kingdom. He promises a great messianic banquet, right? A wedding supper, Revelations 19. Then, he said, then John said, then I heard again, it sounded like a shout of a vast crowd of, or the roar of the mighty ocean waves, or, or the crash of a loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest and the pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. 
And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. Let me ask you, how many are looking for a time to celebrate this great banquet, not here, but in heaven? How many guys are looking for that day? Are you looking for that day? Are you? I hope so. Right? Just imagine. What if this will be our last Lord's Supper on earth? Wouldn't that be awesome that our next Lord's Supper will be in heaven? That is the most awesome thing. That this absolute banquet that God has prepared and you have a seat on the table. That you have an actual seat on the table of God. And our mission, though, is not complete. Because we want others to join us in this feast. Wouldn't we want our, our friends and our family who does not know Christ also be at this feast? Right? If you know it's a great party, why don't you want to invite them to this great party? It will be a great party, wouldn't it? And our job is just to do that. Let me just wrap this up. When, when I said earlier that the Lord's Supper is dangerous, it is. Because there's some penalty. If you look at verse 27 to 29, it says, To eat and drink God's judgment. Whoever therefore eats and the bread and, or drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let the person examine himself, then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And I can't imagine a more serious comment when it comes to participating in the Lord's Supper. The apostle Paul used the word unworthy, meaning treating it as some common thing or treating it with an carelessness and irreverence and indifference and coming with unconfessed sin, with superficial attitudes. And yes, it's given that we're actual unworthy sinners. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Actually, this is why we come to the table, to show gratitude to the Lord's forgiveness. So to the dishonor that he's talking about here is not our unworthiness as sinners, but the shallowness and the superficial way we participate if we go to the table. And the call here is for us to take seriously, recognize the unity of the body, which is designed for the purpose of, of really encouragement. Here it is, however, that deep conviction is, however sad your heart is and however grieved you are over your sinfulness and however badly you feel about your sin, is actually the more worthy you are to take the, the, the table. But, but the more shallow your thoughts about your unworthiness, the, the less worthy you really are to take of the table. And Paul makes this interesting statement, we'll be guilty of the blood and the blood of the Lord. This verse shows us how to avoid being liable is by examining ourselves. In a few minutes, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and I want to invite you to look inside and take an honest look at your heart and come to the table in a worthy manner. And when you come, confess it all. Hold nothing back. And I invite you to come and really worship God, being thankful to the cross for Jesus who gave his life for us. Paul then says, after examining oneself, let him participate. But if you do it, do it don't do it with a wrong motive, or you'll be disciplined by the Lord. Letter B, to be divinely judged with physical sickness. It says here, that is why many of you are weak and ill, and because you took the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Um, uh, letter C, it says to be divinely judged with physical death. And Paul said, and some have died because they actually took the, the Lord's table for granted and, and uh, died. 
It's very dangerous to take the Lord's Supper. It's very, very dangerous to lie to the Holy Spirit. We just look at Ananias and Sapphira, right? We look at what happened to them. In the Old Testament, such divine executions serve as an example of what all sinners might receive. The Bible tells us if we judge ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. And this involves discerning what we are and what we ought to be. And, and I invite you, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. At the same time, we must recognize that God in his grace and mercy sends judgments in order to push offenders back towards righteous behavior and sends death to some in the church to encourage those who remain to choose holiness rather than sin. Even if the Lord decides to strike us dead for disrespecting his table, it would be to discipline us to spare us from the final judgment. For me, the thought is so powerful because if we are kept from condemnation not only by decree but also by really divine intervention and God chastised us to keep us from falling from salvation will even take our life if need be before that could ever happen so there's such seriousness in in the Lord's Supper so as we uh, just take this time um, to do that this morning uh, will you join with me in in prayer and I'm going to give you some time and and the only thing I really want us to do this morning is to, to give Jesus the gratitude that, we, that he really deserves. And, and to really get up to date with him. Hold nothing back. Confess everything to Christ. Confess every single thing to Christ. And come to the table. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, it's, it's been six months now since we last celebrated this table. And, and God, I, I just want to confess that uh, how I've taken this for granted. I just want to confess to you that it's something that we just do. It's not something that is so sacred. God, as we heard this morning, God... It is so sacred because, Lord, it's a remembrance of, of your love for us. It's a reminder of your sacrifice. It's a, it's a reminder of your kindness, of your mercy, and it's a, of your goodness. So, so Lord, I, I just want to give us time this morning just to give thanks and, and confess our sins. And, Lord, and be free to take the the elements, O oh Lord, that symbolizes your, your body and your blood. And, and then we celebrate, God, that those sins are forgiven forever. And that we are good with you. That our standing with you, God, is good. So, Lord, help us this morning, Holy Spirit. Help us, O oh Lord, convict us of whatever sin and, and search us, O oh God, and know our hearts. And, God, please look at all the grievous ways. Oh, Lord, have we fallen short of your glory? Will you take this time? And the cup. Will you just say with me, thank you, Jesus? You say that to me once again, and, and I just want you to look at the cross, and like you've never seen this cross before behind me, and just look at it from this point of view, that this is, was for you. 
All of this is for you. It's a symbol of his love. It's a symbol of his love. It's a symbol of his kindness and his mercy. And I just want us to be grateful that our Savior loves us so, so much. Will you, will you raise up the, the bread with me? And, and this is my body, Jesus said, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And as you look at the cross behind me, 2,000 years ago, there was blood that was spilling from this cross. And every blood that spilled on the cross was the forgiveness of our sins. The Bible said, without the shedding of blood, there will be no forgiveness of sin. And as we take the cup, as we raise the cup, I want you to know that your sins are forgiven. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Before we close our service this morning, there was another purpose for this. It's not just for the remembrance of this sacrifice, but it's also for the proclamation of the gospel. You know, before we stand and, and sing this last song, will you, will you stand when you're ready to stand and, and say, God, I'll make a commitment before you today, before you and before the cross, that I will proclaim your death and your resurrection until you come, that I will not stop sharing the wonderful news of, of Jesus Christ to whoever who does not yet believe in him, and I will not stop praying, and I will not stop telling them about how Jesus loves them and that their sins could be forgiven. I will not stop. That's the commitment that we make as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Would you pray with me? Father, we want to say thank you for the cross. We want to thank you for that it reminds us, God, not only how much you love us, but it reminds us, God, that you are looking forward to being with us at the supper, God, and, and for us to be with you. God, we look forward to the day that, our, that, this, that we will take this at your table in heaven and we'll be forever be with you. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God, we want to thank you for the gospel, the gospel that saved us. God, I just want to pray for Chris and, and Gretchen, God, and I thank you for their heart and their love for the gospel. God, thank you for sparing Gretchen, O oh Lord, uh, letting her know, O oh Lord, that her race is not finished yet and that she still wants to serve you and honor you with her life. Thank you, Lord, for sustaining her and saving her through this, O oh God. And God, I pray for us, O oh Lord, as we take this gospel to the world. That when we face hostility and, and hatred, uh, let's remember, our oh Lord, that they hated you before they will hate us. And they persecuted you before they will persecute us. So, Lord God, God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. And the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.